0: This podcast is a Six Second Stories production. Six Second Stories is a video marketing agency that helps you tell heartfelt stories to maximize your impact in minimal time. Find out more about what we do at SixSecondStories.com. All right, guess what I learned about myself this year? I am, and maybe you are too, a multi-potentialite. Now, I had never heard that term before I met today's guest, but really, you know, there's a lot of different versions of that that term: a multi-hyphenate a Renaissance man, a polymath. They all kind of mean the same thing, and that is a person with many different interests, creative and otherwise. The problem that people like me and maybe you deal with is that when you have a lot of different interests that aren't uh, inherently tied together then you can find yourself pinging and ponging uh, back and forth between all of them and never really making forward progress in any of them, right? You know, jack of all trades, master of none, right? You know, jack of all trades, but master of none, right? However, a few people have now been bringing out, bringing to light that the real saying or the original saying of that was jack of all trades and a master of none is still better than a master of one, What's up storytellers and welcome back to the Storytelling Lab podcast. This is episode 122 and it's another TikTok inspired and influenced episode with my guest Jake McNeil. Jake McNeil is a personal brand strategy consultant under the brand Creative Hackers. And what he says is that he helps introverted rebels grow their audience and have an impact without all the bullshit. What that really means is he helps people like me. I mean, I, honestly, this episode was incredibly helpful for me, but I know a lot of the people out there listening and a lot of the people that follow my content deal with the same kind of issues that I do. What what he really does is help people, multi-potentialites specifically, Understand how to find the unifying threads and, as I call them, the unique intersections, like where the overlaps happen in their different interests, so that they can carve out a unique lane for them and them alone. Now, when I first saw uh, a TikTok video from this guy, Jake, and he called out his audience very clearly, Uh, multi-potentialites, which again, I had never heard before, but when he, whatever the first video I saw was, I, and I wrote, I feel attacked. Now, I like to think I'm original. Sometimes I am very much am not. Uh, A lot of people felt that way. Uh, He hit us right in the feels, right in the heart, right in the struggle uh, center of our brains, because we really felt seen, because he was like, hey, do you find yourself procrastinating or starting one project and abandoning it only to start another one, but never really making your way forward in any of them or trying to make them too perfect or, you know, like I said, procrastinating and we're all just like, yes, 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 that's me. Well, he tells us all these different people throughout life that have had success when they understood how to weave those different passions together. David Bowie, Steve Jobs, uh, Benjamin Franklin, Leonardo da Vinci, all these great high-achieving performers and artists and creators and entrepreneurs. And so he lays this roadmap forward for us. Now, his background is mostly in the music industry, and now he's working with other people because of his rise on TikTok. But he helped plenty of musicians and DJs and pop stars accomplish this same thing by following this same roadmap. Now, in that first video, when I saw him, I think he had like 7,000 followers. I was like, oh, man, this guy's got something there. And I even reached out. I was like, hey, man, I do a similar thing, but specifically through storytelling. The thing is, like, and I'll be very honest and vulnerable and candid with you, and you all know that I am willing to do that always, I can help people with that. It's sometimes very, uh, not very easy, but it very much easier to help someone else through their struggles than deal with your own. So I say this to say that even though I am helping people with it, I still struggle with it myself. Now, I've figured out how to make forward progress in a lot of my projects. I'm very uh, proud of a lot of the accomplishments that I've had, but I do still struggle with this daily. So do a lot of other people, it appears, because when I saw that first video of Jake, he had, he had about 7,000 followers. And the next time I turned around, it shot up to like 30,000, then 80,000. Now I think it's well over 100,000 because people resonate with it. The one thing that I will say that he does extremely well, and I I talk about this in the conversation, is he puts a name on his audience. He calls you out every time. Multi-potentialites. Dot, dot, dot. And here's his lesson for the day. It is so important to identify your audience. Call them by name. Identity is everything. So when people see his videos and hear his videos, they immediately know he's talking to them. I absorbed so much great information from this short chat with him that I immediately applied to my strategy. I know that it is going to help you too. So here is my conversation with Jake McNeil. And I hope that you love it. So, what is your background? I noticed, like, on your TikTok bio, I don't know if you—I can't remember exactly what it said—but like, artists or musicians? Like, is that who you worked with? What, what's your background? how did you? Yeah, get my
2: background. I spent 28 years in the music industry as an artist manager, and I managed—I um, founded, and managed, and built personal brands for a multi platinum pop bands who sold millions of albums and singles and um, some of the then biggest DJs in the world. Who uh, Now, all these people were multi-potentialites, but I didn't know what a multi-potentialite was at the time. Um, so, yeah, so I've been working with uh, multi-potentialites for 30 years. Okay, so define that for us. What, multi-potentialites? Yeah. Yeah, okay, well, multi-potentialite is, somebody, is a person that has multiple interests um, in creative or and academic fields so they're there are multiple skill sets but essentially what defines them is um divergent thinking so we all have divergent thinking brains right so we all think we're very wide lens um and that is our blessing because that creates all our you know generates all our creativity our ideas however it's also our curse because it prevents us or it makes us it's a struggle to make decisions because we have so many ideas
0: yeah precisely i mean when i saw you Talking about that, I mean, it was just like a dagger, a beautiful dagger to the heart, as 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 I'm sure many other people uh, resonated with that. So what was the story of you understanding that word or hearing that word and understanding that's the type of person you, you had been working with all the time? You said at that point, you didn't know that term. When did you figure that out exactly? Because that's a psych, psych, psychology term, yes?
2: It is yeah, it's not it's not a medical diagnosis. It's a, psych, a psychological term first used in nineteen seventy two mm-hmm. um but previously it's been words with things like polymath and Renaissance person, right. stuff like that, right? So you know the, the you know the most famous ones are Leonardo da Vinci, um, uh, Benjamin Franklin, Thomas Edison of the past, right? so so this is a terminology it's been um in different forms batted about for centuries. So uh, how I came across it was just working with elite creatives. Uh, in the music industry, people that were highly creative, but they really—they had all these fantastic ideas, uh, but they really struggled to uh, make decisions. So I inadvertently came up with all these strategies. And listen, I'm a multi potentialite myself, so I have the same struggles, which is why I connected so deeply and um, with these artists. And this allowed me to be successful in the music industry because, um, you know, I had a deep connection with them. But basically, I helped them make decisions. So, for example, I managed a DJ called Mauro Picotto. He was unknown outside of Italy. Um, He... Uh, was a techno DJ and a trance DJ and he couldn't decide which uh, music to focus on so he blended them together and he was the first one to create techno trance right now this is you're talking 20-22 years ago okay Um, nobody had heard of techno trance at this point but he blended two disparate musics together to create a new sound. So he went from uh, unknown outside Italy to number eight in the world on the DJ Magazine Top 100, which is still the the barometer for for DJs, in a space of two years. Um, And that took him from completely unknown to headlining festivals, uh, arenas, global world tours. And he went on to have about 37, 38 top 40 hits across Europe. And all that is by uh, him being a multi-potentialite And blending his various different interests together, in this case, techno and trance, to create a new sound.
0: So in your experience or in your opinion, why do... We can approach this two different ways. Why do multi-potentialites make good musical artists? Or why are many great musical artists multi-potentialites?
2: Well, I think in the music industry. I mean, by the way, it's just not—it's not musicians. If you for sure, at, for sure, for sure. If you look at, um, there's a book which name is uh, escapes me at the moment, but it talks about the top twenty uh, scientists or people that have changed the world, like Marie Curie and Charles Darwin and uh, Albert Einstein. Fifteen out of the twenty of them were multi but in terms of this question, why musicians um, have to be multi-talented? You have to have you have to have a deep understanding of music, of lyrics, of videos. Of uh, there's so many different yeah. facets. Particularly nowadays. I mean, back then we were still talking about major labels, and we would, you know, I would sign an artist very early and then sign onto a major label. Whereas now an artist has to have a full audience. For sure. So an, uh, an artist or musician needs to be more. Not that you can be more multi-potentialite, but they have to lean more in the multi-potentialite skills now um, than ever before because of the way the world has gone.
0: Yeah, to- I mean, totally agree with that. So the, let's take the flip side of that question then. And you've alluded sure. to this already, but what then do they struggle with because of that multi-potentialiteness?
2: Well, they, they struggle to make decisions. What do they focus on?
1: Yeah.
0: You know, what style of music do they focus on? Do they focus on the marketing? Do they
2: focus on TikTok? Do they know do they focus on, on so you know, there's so many different areas to focus on. So, if, for example, when I was managing artists that were signed to Sony, Warner's or Universal, we had a team of maybe 16 people that would run a business. Now you've got one artist that's got to do all of that effectively and grow an audience enough or go viral, um, which can be lacking or can be planned on TikTok in order to get signed. So the pressures on artists now is uh, is incredible, really.
0: So when you were listing some of history's, you know, most famous or well a well known multi potentialized Leonardo da Vinci, Benjamin Franklin, uh, various other people that uh, Walter Isaacson has written about, uh, written biographies for. And this is true, yeah. <laughs> Steve Jobs, of course, exactly right. Maybe that's his thing. I'm just realizing now. So. Uh, <laughs> um, is it primarily artists or I mean, in Steve Jobs case, you can argue that he's an artist, but clearly he was an entrepreneur as well. But do you see that it tends to be artists or can any type of person uh, be a multi- multi-potentialite or, or benefit from the approach that we're talking about? Yeah, no,
2: absolutely. Uh, so basically, to be the, the thing about multi-potentiality is our brains are part analytical, part creative. Mm-hmm. So, we have to fulfill, and this is this is where people get a bit stuck, is that they they focus entirely on the creative and they miss the analytical side, or they they focus entirely on the analytical and they miss the creative side. You have to blend those two things together. That is one of the keys of niching up and you know finding your focus, your purpose, your why, whatever you want to define it as. But, yeah, no, absolutely. So, um somebody like uh, I mean, Steve Jobs is a great example. He talks about, you know, following the dots. you know, in his Stanford uh, commencement speech, he gave three bits of life advice if you haven't seen it or, you, or your listeners haven't seen it. The number one was follow your curiosity and um, join the dots. And he talks about when he was at college, he, he, you know, he famously left college, but he went and did a, a calligraphy class um, for no other reason. than He just loved fonts. Um, But it didn't make any sense to him. But anyway, he did a whole semester, you know, studying fonts and he just loved it. But he had no use for it. It made no sense to him until 10 years later that him and Steve Wozniak are, you know, designing the Apple Macintosh. And he comes up with the idea of adding beautiful fonts as that will give them an opportunity to stand out in a growing and crowded market, which, of course, it did. Um, so he talks about how you can't basically follow your curiosity is just following things that you're particularly interested in, which is what multipotentialites do. And then later on, you can join the dots together. But what he talks about is you can't spot see the dots going forward. It's only backwards. In hindsight, you can look and you can see where you've been joining dots all along to actually blend things together. And if you think about it, it's, they don't just do this in terms of if you look at the iPhone, the iPhone is what you would call conceptual blending. And that's taking four different elements that already existed: the phone, the comp- you know a compressor uh, or the uh, you know a processor, should I say, and then a camera and an MP3 player. Every every other mobile phone manufacturer who were way ahead of the game had access to these same elements, but yeah. nobody took those elements and joined mm-hmm. the dots together. hmm and this this happens you know uh, Quentin Tarantino did the same with pulp fiction david bowie did the same thing to uh uh create Ziggy stardust uh uh stephanie i can never pronounce her surname did the same to by blending oranges to create lady gaga it's by it's it's the thing, the thing about being a multi is that we're under the impression that we've got to pick one thing and focus on it, because that's what society tells us, because we live in a specialist society. But the truth is that we have to follow our curiosity, and then we can blend the, diff- the variation, of the idea synthesis of taking these different concepts and blending them together to create our own niche.
0: So you've, you've mentioned with Stephanie Germata is, 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 thank you so much. Yeah, it's okay. okay. Um, and Steve jobs, which are more recent examples and David Bowie, a little less recent, but still recent in terms of like compared to Leonardo da Vinci. Mm -hmm. Um, so we've mentioned some recent examples, but would you say that this was more popular historically as an approach to the work that people did in the world? Or has it... Yeah, very, much so. very okay. much so. So, I mean,
2: 250 years ago, to be a polymath was a was a highly revered position. However, what happened was the Industrial Revolution happened. Mm-hmm. So, you had, you imagine, like 250 years ago, you had an artisan uh, cobbler whose uh, skill set has been passed down from generation to generation. They have been able to take a boot or uh, create a boot from scratch, right? They would dye the lever, they would cut the lever, they would sew the lever, they would make the soles, they would do the laces. Um, and they were very successful as uh, artisan cobblers. However, the industrial revolution happens and everything moves into factories. Mm-hmm. So then what they do is they take that whole creative process of uh, creating that boot by one person and they split it into small repeatable sections and they call that specialists. So that cobbler who was once the uh, revered uh, artist is now forced to, because uh, it's business that he's got out of business, right? He's now forced to work in the factory and disregard all his skills and simply stay there and lace the boots or whatever.
0: Yeah, you took the question right where I was going to drive it, which is like, when did it change and why? And it's funny, I mean, it's interesting kind of obvious when we look at it that it happened at that point. Seth Godin talks about this a lot in terms of education. It changed with the industrial revolution, right? We started putting people in lines and columns and rows and kids put in the same way and education started taking the same format. Whereas I talked about this with my wife recently, like why wouldn't you have a class in either little pods or at least people facing each other in a circle? Why, Why else would you have them in a learning environment, be like five rows of five facing the same way, just you know, remembering and regurgitating keywords, you know, and it's the same exact thing that we did. We found a model that was easy to replicate and make a system out of to create things, uh, but it doesn't do good for how our our, our brains work.
2: No, absolutely not. I mean, of... uh, John Rockefeller invested $180 million, which is about the equivalent of $24 billion today in the education state. And he's famously quoted as saying, I don't want a nation of thinkers, I want a nation of workers. So the, the school system were, it was originally called factory schools because they were there to create future factory workers who were more docile, uh, punctual and obedient. And that, and not much has changed, you know. It's heavy. Um, we we're not encouraged in critical thinking, and I don't know if if you've ever come across the NASA creativity test from the the sixties and seventies.
0: I'm familiar with it, vaguely familiar with it, but not not not. Well, uh... it's fascinating. So.
2: So basically, NASA were, were, were in the space race, so they were up against, sure. you know, uh, obviously the Russians and the Chinese to get the first man on the moon. So um, the American government uh, created NASA, and they needed lots of scientists and engineers, but they wanted, they didn't just want the most qualified ones, they knew that, they, they needed the most creative and innovative ones. So there wasn't any creativity test. So they went and they approached uh, Dr. Uh, George Land, who created a divergent thinking test, because divergent thinking is the key to creativity, which is what we're, of course, we're talking about with multi-potentiality. Um, and it was a very simple test. It was simply a fork. And they went around and gave it to all the, the top scientists with all these you know, um, degrees from Harvard and Yale, et cetera. They handed them this fork and said, how many, how many different uses can you come up with for this fork? And the people that came up with the most were the most divergent thinkers, right? So basically, they discovered that of the scientists that they interviewed, the top 2% were divergent thinkers. Now, this is fantastic. And this is such a simple test. Anyway, they employed these scientists and engineers. And of course, it was a successful mission. But NASA were were so uh, curious um, about creativity that they decided to do the same test. The divergent thinking test with 1,600 school kids across America, age five, and they went and they did the same test they did with the scientists, and they found that 98% of the kids were creative geniuses. Mm. I right, you had the same level of divergent thinking as the top two percent of the NASA scientists. Right, they got the man, the first man on the moon. They thought, wow, this is incredible. So they said, right, let's make this a longitude test. So they went back five years later when the kids were ten, and only 30% of them remained creative <laughs> geniuses. And they went, oh, my God, what's going on? They went back again five years later when they were 15. And only 12% of the same kids, right, were divergent thinkers and thus creative geniuses in their eyes. And then they tested 265,000 adults, average age 31, and 2% of adults. Um, at that time. Now, I would suggest that with modern days and all the distractions we've got on social media, uh, certainly the levels of uh, uh, divergent thinker uh, thinking, I'm sure uh, we exceed 2%, but nonetheless, that was their results in, in the 1970s. So it just shows you the impact. Now, they, they said to Dr. Gerland, "What? why is this? And there's two reasons. One is the education system, which is yeah. basically what you've just said, right? And number two is fear. Once hmm. kids to get, get to about six or seven, they start forming their identities and their egos. And what happens then is they start worrying whatever people think. And when we start worrying whatever people think, this genius idea in our head, we're scared that we're going to get ridiculed or criticized for it. So we stop taking risks. We bland everything down.
0: I think it might be Brene Brown that talks about this when kids are drawing, you know, just drawing pictures as, as, as young kids. And then they get to a certain point, maybe fourth grade or something like that, where it starts getting criticized by other kids. That doesn't look yeah. like a horse, and it suppresses that creative thing because it doesn't have to look like a horse. It can look like whatever, and then they stop. Yeah. They stop cura- creating things for a while. I was working in uh, the fitness space in a freestyle form of calisthenics. It became an art form. Calisthenics just being body weight pull ups, push ups. And this subculture started in the parks and playgrounds of New York, where they were doing freestyle. It became an art form. They were expressing themselves and it looked like a dance on monkey bars, on pull-up bars. And so I started, I was really deep into that culture, made a film about it. And I, and I realized when it comes to things like, what we can do with our bodies—climbing trees, backflips, any of this stuff—when you're a kid, it's very easy. You don't have that fear, and if you don't stop doing it, you can all—you can continue to do it till you're very old because it's just your own body weight. But at some point, 12 years old, 15 years old, 20, 40. You know, you you that fear creeps up that word that you used and and we stop and then we start thinking about like, "Ah, I shouldn't be doing that. I could fall. I could I could, you know, hurt something. So similarly, it's it it just reminds me of what what you just said, that fear (laughs) is still that thing that prohibits us from from pursuing these things. When if we didn't ever stop, we would still have that skill right? Whether it's, you know, being creative uh, artistically, athletically, whatever. So I just saw, I saw a lot of parallels, um, a lot of parallels there. It's, it's kind of the story you just told is sad. It's so sad to hear, like to go from, what was it? How many percent of of children were
2: 98% when they're five to 12% when they were fifteen, and then adults
0: 2%. That's, that's incredibly sad, but we're here in this in a new revolution right uh yeah. technological digital revolution whatever you want to call it is this something that you, you know you kind of alluded to this when you talk about musical artists now you have to be you know versatile right you have to know a lot about uh, uh, several things do you think that because of the time that we're in it might solve itself uh and if not then like how do we reverse this thing that we've done for over a hundred years now well, yeah, you know, the,
2: the answer its a really good question, because the answer is yes, it is going to reverse itself,
0: because the very
2: system, i.e. capitalism, which systemized um, uh, uh, and leveraged the economies of scale for, to maximize profitization, right, basically broke down the system into little, so the, going back to the, the boot analogy, the, the cobbler is now just lacing the boots, and there's now five people to make one boot right as opposed to previously it was one however now we're into the ai revolution and of course the ai revolution is removing the need for small repeatable systemization jobs in order because it's in order to increase profitization because it's now cheaper to have ai and tech than it is for humans right so ironically the the industrial revolution has started the whole specialization society and the ai revolution i believe will end the special society and the the um, appreciation and the need for generalists and divergent thinkers will come to the fore once more
0: i feel like that's going to leave a big population of people who can't make the transition back you know like leave them behind which which is terrible but i the adjustment does need to happen but you know there's a lot of people that are locked into that specialist mindset this is what i do it's the only thing that i can do um there's a book that I read a few years ago. I always refer to this to people. Uh, humility is the new smart. I don't know if you've heard of this. Uh, and by humility, they basically mean um, creativity and collaborating. Basically, the premise is the only way we're going to compete or coexist with AI um, is to work together and be creative. These things sure. that we're talking about that NASA have te- tested, because we're if we're going one for one, like we're not going to be able to compete with robots and machines. So it's all about how to be humble and and collaborate with your fellow human versus like trying to outperform them because you're about to have something that you cannot outperform Mm -hmm. when it comes to just these menial, like, you know, tasks. But it's a a great read. It's an easy read. But uh, I think it came out in like 2017. I'll I'll send you a link for it. Thank you. Um, Okay, let's go back a little bit. when you realized because you were working with these people, these musical artists, well, because you kind of are them in a lot of ways, yeah. maybe you didn't put the name to it at that point, but when you did, when you had that little epiphany, like, oh, they're multi-potentialites. There's actually a name for it. I am too. I'm kind of similar. Did you, did that change the way you worked with them or, or approached them? Did you just enhance and double down on what you were doing? Like, was there any transformation that happened once you had that you know, light bulb go off. You're like, Oh, I'm, I'm exactly who I'm working with. Uh, No, because I
2: didn't realize I didn't learn the term multi-potentiality until I left the music industry. So I had about two and a half years ago, I had this huge burnout. I've been doing the music industry for 28 years. It came to an end and I went through a whole period of being stuck in what I call the divergent thinking paradox. Whereas I was having lots of ideas. I was getting overwhelmed by the paradox of choice. That means I was getting stuck which means I was procrastinating, and our self-esteem is directly linked to our productivity, which means that I was beating myself up, and therefore I'd lost my confidence. So I was stuck in this thought loop, and this is the main problem I solve for my clients, because it's the divergent thinking paradox. It's the paradox of the divergent thinking, our brains, greatest power is all the ideas, and it's uh, the greatest curse, as I said earlier, at the top of the show, is the fact that we we struggle to make decisions. So I was stuck in this for eight to 10 months. So I ended up going on this huge journey, spending two years, researching all these kinds of topics to solve this problem, the Divergent Thinking Paradox, which I did. Mm-hmm. And it was during that journey that I under—I started to learn about multi-potentiality, mm-hmm. about divergent thinking, about my own diagnosis and everything along those lines. And so it's, it's, it's been a journey, basically. It
0: sounds like it. It, <laughs> it really was. That's a story. <laughs> uh, so what was the first step off of that wheel, you know, that cycle that you were in? Oh, I, I have to take action.
2: So uh, basically when you're stuck in these... I mean, it sounds so simple, doesn't it? But basically, we we have this thing where uh, uh, we want to know because we've gone, because we've uh, gone down so many paths in the past, which have ended up being blind alleyways, right? We kind of want to ensure that if we're going to invest our time and energy into following a path that we want to see how it's going to end up. And of course, that's just not how life is, right? Mm-hmm. So that's what keeps us stuck. So basically, it was by taking action. So I knew I had to get out of my head. Because basically, we have this thing where we're very good at solving other people's problems, but we're not so good at solving our own. But yeah. despite this, we try and think our way out with overthinking, which, of course, just makes it worse. So but again, basically, you have to take action. So I took action. I started a blog. Which is challenging because I'm mildly dyslexic. but I started a blog uh, two and a half years ago. um and I just it was a, a it was a vehicle for me or a platform for me to express my um my emotions and my creativity and to basically go on this journey and find out, you know, find my why
0: basically was it was it specifically addressing this like you know, multi-potentiality or those types of people, or was it just like, I'm just going to start brain dumping and see, yeah, that's kind of how yeah,
2: it, it was. Brain dumping. I, I mean, I was, I was massively burnt out. It took, a, right. uh, it took me a week to get out of bed. Right. I was just, I was, I was done in right. Uh, my brain was frazzled. So I spent, uh, I thought, okay, I'm going to help. I basically want to help people. Yeah. Thought, well, how can I help people? Right. So I thought, okay, well, I'm having a burnout and I've dealt with lots of burnouts in the music industry. Right. Sure. Dealing with creative people, you deal with all kinds of, As an an artist management, you're part uh, strategist, part artist manager, uh, part business manager, part CEO, part life coach, right?
1: (laughs) Because because
2: creative people, we go through through the mill, right?
0: (laughs) Definitely the life coach. (laughs)
2: Definitely the life coach, right? So you're exposed to all these things, you know, and, and of course... When you're talking about the highest level of the music industry, the pressure is just extreme. So, you you know, you're seeing a lot, right? It's crazy. Anyway, so basically I I thought, right, I know a lot about uh, burnout. So I decided to help people with burnout. But I did that for four weeks. And, of course, in a typical multi-potential manner, one day I was obsessed with it. One day I grew up and I woke up and I was bored of it. So I I dealt with my anxiety. Then I went to stoic philosophy. Then I went to Buddhism. And I went through this whole journey. I mean, basically this blog has had about 11 different – Niches uh, of each one. I thought this is the one. This is the one, baby. (laughs) This is the one. And then I go and tell everybody, oh, I've I've found my niche. And then, of course, the week next week, I'm bored of it, and then I feel this deep shame, all right? Because of course, you know, I'm 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 bought into the false social construct that yeah, we're supposed to do one thing and focus on that and do that for the rest of our lives in the same way as everybody else uh, is, you know. So anyway, long story short, eventually I, uh, I I start to join the dots. And of course, when I look back now, as just as Steve Jobs said, all this time, the two years that I was going through this journey, um, yeah, I was just joining the dots uh, and working out um, all about multi-potentiality really. Mm-hmm.
0: You know, this point that you made earlier about it's it's easy for us to help other people with their problems and much more difficult yeah. to help ourselves. Like what resonated with, me within your content initially um was this is one of the ways that i help people specifically by looking into their story like looking inward right and seeing the unique intersections i call them it sounds very similar to part of of your approach as well yet i still struggle with it so i talk about it a lot because this is who i am as well i've been able to make some progress forward and achieve some of the things that i want to but it's a daily struggle like make no mistake Today alone, I've struggled with it every single day, uh but but it, it really spoke to me when you know, and I think that was one of the first things I I said to you on TikTok was like, "Wow, this you know, first of all, I feel attacked in the best way possible, <laughs> and secondly, like I help people similarly, yeah, you know, through using their story." I'm, I'm I've seen the comments; I am not the only one that sh- that shares. Yeah, that I sentiment. know, I know, I know. <laughs> um, and I have a question about uh, about about that as well. But yeah, when I saw it, I was like all the things that you're saying is like precisely one what i'm dealing with and also precisely what i'm helping a good percentage of my clients uh and community with Uh um so i want to talk a little bit because this season i've been i've been hosting people that i've met on TikTok because i've met so many fabulous people with with great uh journeys to you know to share great stories to tell um so i'm curious because i know you haven't been on there that long And when I first found you, you had like 4,000, 5,000 followers. That's when I saw that first video. I was like, oh my gosh, but I loved it. And then, you know, you've kind of just rocketed past that. And my hunch is because there's a lot of other people that feel like me. And when you put this clear name to it that many people hadn't heard. Now, I'd heard polymath. I'd heard multi it, But I I hadn't heard multi-potentialite. Of course, I got it as soon as I heard it. But I every comment that I see is like, oh my god, I needed to hear this today. Like, and I understand that TikTok's very much about finding, you know, finding that audience. So my first question in this realm, and this, you know, how we'll probably spend the rest of the chat, is what was the catalyst that got you on that platform? Like, what was your goal when you set out to start that, and why?
2: Well, yeah. I, I mean, my I got my blog. I've gone viral a couple of times in my blog. Um, There's a Professor uh, Amy Edmondson from Harvard um she wrote a thing about psychological safety mm-hmm. a book and i had i had done a kind of a spoof uh, blog post for this and um she basically some someone sent it to her she shared a hundred thousand people on linkedin it went it went viral on linkedin so i was about two and a half thousand people and i had all of a sudden i went from nothing to having all these harvard professors oxford oxford <laughs> professors yale i mean by, by the way i've got 140 iq but i let's go 15 i've got zero zero qualifications and, and an insecurity about it so you can just imagine right i'm writing these right. blogs to you know uh that some of the the smartest academic people in the world right um and people kept approaching me and saying look you need to get on to um tiktok because your content will do really really well right and i was talking about multi-potentialites at this point and i'm like i've never um i've never had uh, this tiktok was the first ever social media account i've ever had in my life right (laughs) Uh exactly right now i've had burner accounts because and basically people used to say w- w- what's your social media i never had a facebook i never had a twitter yeah. you know cl- you know public facing right i've had, i've had burner accounts because i built personal brands for yes. artists then most of the, the, my work was through social media right mm-hmm. um so that was my excuse because people go what's your social media i, say, I don't have any go, that's really weird i said well you know, basically, I I do social media all day. Uh, the last thing I want sure. to do is when I go home, it's my own. But that was completely utter bullshit. Uh, I was just terrified to put myself out there because that is another multi-potentialite thing: is that we're we're terrified of rejection. Again,
0: right? it's easier to help you know your clients than than right. do it yourself. Yeah. Correct. Right,
2: right. So anyway, so um, eventually I, I was talked into do it. I had so many people do it. And I said, OK, so because, you know, my business was doing OK. I was getting clients and I was getting high profile clients, you know, um, academics and stuff like that. And I was happy with that. But really, I wanted to boost it. But apart from anything else, there's only so much impact you can have when you're writing a blog once a week to two and a half thousand people. So but I, I said, OK, I'm going I'm to give it a shot. OK, I'm 50 years old um it's about time i I'm a big boy now it's about time I had my own social media account <laughs> so that's what I did and I set myself a thirty day challenge and I put out um I, I i'm i'm really I'm really good at doing challenges in fact, all multi potentialites are um so uh basically i said i'll I'll post thirty videos in thirty days and i 'll see how it goes and if at the end of that thirty days I don't like it then that's fine. At least I've tried. I've done everything I possibly can. Um, so that's what got me started. And yeah, my 31st video was one about David Bowie being a multi-potentialite. And it went super viral, a quarter of a million. And then it's, yeah, I mean, I'm at, I don't know, 118,000 followers now in five months or something.
0: Do you remember what you had at the end of the 30-day sprint in terms uh, of followers?
2: Um, oh, followers. It was under 1,000 because I couldn't put a link in my
0: bio. So. Oh, under a 1,000. So You know, my
2: videos, I mean, again... And most people delete their early videos because they want to give the impression that they've always been really comfortable, and I don't do that I, yeah, as much as I, I hate agree. my videos, right, I cringe but things, I'm very proud of those videos because they represent courage to me because that's what it took, mm, because I was point. terrified to put these things out you know, Um. but the point is, is that I mean, th- th- they've got lots of views now because when something goes viral, people go back to you your first yeah. videos and they look at them right, by the time they were getting 100, 200 views, I wasn't getting any, I was getting the odd comment here and there oh, I feel seen and stuff, but even then i wasn't talking about multi-potentiality because i couldn't see any content on tiktok about multi-potentialites so i thought there wasn't a market for it so even you know for the first i don't know three weeks i was talking about introverted creators because you know that's also what i am um and it was only yeah when i started talking about the problems of um the struggle to make decisions as creators and that's when people started really, really connecting with it. And I thought, oh, okay. And then that's when I started talking about multi And then the TikTok algorithm does what the TikTok algorithm does. It's wild, you know?
0: right? It's wild. Yeah, it's wild. So you said after that 30 days, if I don't like it, uh, yeah. then I'll quit. And now you've had some success with it, so I know that like that's nice. It's bring, probably bringing you clients, which TikTok does very well. That's probably nice. But do you like it? Do you show up and do it because it's your job, or like have you found a way to produce the content that you like? You like to show up and do it.
2: Yeah, I do like it. I'm not doing so much at the moment because you know I'm doing another project, so I've okay. had to take a break just for sure. time. Um, but yeah, I do like it because I use it um, in the same way I do my writing. I use it to process my emotions. And I mm. do this in a very, very authentic manner. Um, most multi-potentialite creators will resonate with this. There's a few things we struggle with, right? One is niching down because we just can't do it. We just get bored. Another one is batching content. Some yeah. some of my clients could do it, but most clients can't do it. The reason for that is that when I create content, I'm put, I'm sharing my stories, my hopes, my fears, my insecurities, anything about it in a really honest and vulnerable fashion. So if I create five videos today, Right, they feel authentic by tomorrow and the day after I'm obviously in a different emotional space, and therefore, it no longer feels authentic. And it sits in my draft. I have 69 videos in my drafts, fully edited, recorded, edited, that will never see the light of day okay. for this very reason. This so, is really- for, for, for me. For me, this is uh, our creativity for multi mm-hmm. potential, it's an essential part of emotional regulation right Mm. because if i don't process my emotions what happens is i sweep them under the 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 metaphorical carpet and that carpet gets bigger and bigger and bigger and then we have an explosion of emotions right
0: (laughs) so i don't i have any clue what you're talking about
2: of course you don't never
0: (laughs) heard of that my wife (laughs) has an experience like hearing
2: this are nodding their heads you know so, that. A... So, so, so that's the whole point. The, the whole point of our creativity is, is it's for us to uh, help our, the younger version of ourselves feel seen and heard by sharing our stories with vulnerability. Okay, but in other words, processing our emotions in an authentic manner.
0: Hmm. I hadn't ever thought about the batching content uh, example, but it's so true, and I've always struggled with it. And I just abandoned it, you know. I stopped. I mean, it maybe every now and then I'll record one or two. Yeah. But I know that on paper, objectively, it's a good uh system, sure. right? It Absolutely. makes sense. Um, to go ahead and do it all at once instead of spending time every day. But I just stopped worrying about it because I can't do it. I never have been able to do it. So I record when I'm in the moment. You've seen some of my videos. I don't make them that complex. I might add some stickers or some images here and there. But it's really just me talking to camera, not unlike yours, right? Mm-hmm. So it's easy for me to produce them because mm-hmm. they're not super high production value. Even though I'm a filmmaker, I don't bring those that skill set sure, uh, sure. to it. But I had never thought about that. I'm going to marinate on that a little bit because I never really questioned why I just knew I couldn't. And I used to beat myself up about it. And then I did get past that, that little hurdle of like, okay, just, that's not your style. Don't worry about it. It's fine. I know plenty of people have success, but that's, that's an interesting point. Um, I noticed, and I think I know the answer to this question, but I just want to chat about it with you. I noticed at at the beginning of your videos, every single time, At least most every single time that the ones that I see, you identify your audience, the people by the name multi potentialite at the top, every like without every single video without fail. Why is that? Tell me.
2: Uh, it's so people understand it's for them, you know. So, I mean, it's a really important thing, you know. This video is for multi potentialite, so even if people don't know what a multi potentialite is, it's intriguing enough to go, What the hell's that? But the point is, is that this is. For you right you know if you're a multi-potentialite this is for you if it's not and feel free to you know to scroll on
0: and and this goes back to your point you made about feeling seen and heard like you make people feel seen and heard immediately just by like putting that label to it this is something that i've struggled with because i help people in a lot of different manners it's always kind of around the storytelling space some with personal branding some with leadership some with sales and marketing. Um, But yeah, I see it works so effectively in your strategy and I just wanted to like, you know, tip the hat to that because it's so it's so well done and I know that that's a reason it resonates with people.
2: Um, yeah, no, thank you. Yeah, it's, it, it's a really important part is that you have to have an overarching theme. Um, so for me it's multi-potentiality right but so people people say to me oh you you're very niche you niche down no I don't so if I niche down it would be productivity for multi-potentialites and that's all I would talk about right and I wouldn't last a week but I talk about productivity I talk about philosophy I talk about strategy I talk about building audiences about creativity I yes. talk about maybe 15 to 20 different I talk about dopamine I talk about shame I talk about vulnerability yes. I talk about 20 different topics but it's always philosophy for multi-potentialites, productivity for multi-potentialites, right. strategy for multi-potentialites. And what I do is I talk about uh, maybe 15 to 20 different topics, but it's all pointing and focused in the same direction.
0: The terminology that I would, if I were working with someone that I would put to that is like, that is the narrative thread, which weaves all of those pieces together as multi-potentiality, yeah. right? Like yeah. you have, and that is how people like us which feel very segmented, and this is where i i help people uh, through through using their story—is like finding that that narrative thread that ties sure. those things together, so that then, you know, you can be a filmmaker, a writer, a podcast host, a, a business owner, et cetera, et cetera. But they all have to be tied together to some in some you know sphere, you know, that that fits together and makes sense. Um, so yeah, I totally, I totally agree. You're not talking about that, you know, but I think it does miss, it misses out if it doesn't have that thing that ties them all together. And I think that you, you do that that really well. Um, so when someone we've talked a a little bit about this, we talked about taking action when someone is faced with this, um, what did you say? Your, your divergent thinking paradox, when you're kind of like it's the 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 too many choices basically right to, mm-hmm. to, to know which one to pursue at the moment etc etc uh, what is the, i know i mean i'm this is not a coaching session and i know that that what you do is complex but like what are some of the simple steps besides just taking action that people can do to get out of that like state because to me it feels like the way i put it is you're bouncing from one thing to another and you're spinning in circles the mm-hmm. hamster wheel whatever you want to call it you know spinning around you know spinning around in circles like besides just taking action on one what are some of the things that you can do to just kind of like stop that motion and get get a grasp on what the hell is is available to you yeah
2: well it's, it's, if you think about it it's all about making decisions and the problem with making decisions is that we're not very good at it. <laughs> But the thing is, that the reason we're not very good at it is that we invest our identities into decision making. So, for example, right, if I make a good decision, then I am a good decision maker and I'm successful. If I make a bad decision, then I'm a bad decision maker and I'm unsuccessful and I will never trust my intuition ever again. OK, so therefore, there's a lot of pressure uh, on decisions. And the truth is, we don't know it's impossible for us. The, the universe is a very complex place. So you, let's say, for example, you're going for a job, right? And I'm on paper, this job might be a great job for you. But really, it could end up being an absolute nightmare <laughs> because of the boss, because of the, uh, the toxic environment, whatever. We have no way of knowing if a decision is good or bad in advance. So that's the first thing to do. The second thing to do is to, uh, to instead of that black and white thinking, success or failure based on decisions, mm-hmm. is to basically just experiment. We don't know how something, for example, when I started that blog two and a half years ago, bear in mind, or even like a year ago, right, if somebody said to me, you're going to be earning, you know, a uh, six-figure income from uh, TikTok, bear in mind, I've never been in social media in my life before, the chances of me believing them is pretty unlikely, but that's exactly what happened. But that is with just taking a chance, experimenting, and going as you go along. But the truth of the matter is um, all decision-making is, is having frameworks. So, for example, when a client comes to me and they say, look, I've got all these different ideas, I've got all these business ideas, I I can go left, I can go right, we can, the the most simplest way to do it is uh, what are the problems, basically scratching your own itch, what are the problems you've already solved? Scratching your itch is a well-known trope in, in entrepreneurship, right? Yeah. But it also works especially well for multi-potentialites. The reason being is that we we because we're not an expert in one thing, we suffer a lot of impos- imposter syndrome. Um, and I heard you talking in one of your other episodes, so I, I I know I know you're afflicted as well, right? <laughs> <what> Potentially <laughs> is very right? afflicted, my friend. Very yeah. afflicted man. So you know the we, what we're doing when we're sol- when we're helping someone solve a problem that we've already solved. All we're doing is taking from zero to one. We're not saying we're the expert. We're the best in the world. That yeah. We're doing it. We're saying, look, I was there five years ago. I'm now here. Okay, there was a transformation of which I took six uh, you know, specific steps. And that's basically what you then do. You replicate that. In other words, there's no person in the world that can solve the divergent thinking paradox better than me. There's plenty of people that solve that. They can do it in a different way, but nobody can do it exactly the same way as me because I solved it and I used my process to solve that. Mm -hmm. So in other words, we need to employ frameworks, mental models to help us make decisions. Um, And that helps narrow it down. And also there's like convergent thinking tools as well. Um, So there's one of my favorite convergent thinking tools, uh, which your listeners can Google is know now how wow. And basically, it's just a two by two matrix. Um, you get a bunch of post-it notes or a mirror board um, and you make you know, a two by two matrix. So two big boxes. One, the first box says no. Right. And that's for the rubbish ideas. The uh, uh, the second box uh, next to that is is now. These are the ideas that are good and it doesn't need any further research or anything. So you put that into the now box. The how. Is that, okay, this is really good, but I need to do more research or, you know, get certified or whatever the situation is. And wow is the ones that really hit your gut instinct. And all these tools, this is a convergent thinking tool to help your divergent thinking ideas narrow down. And then you can go through the process of eliminating and seeing which ones are best for you.
1: Hmm.
0: That's great, man. That's outstanding. Uh, can you share anything? And no, is a totally fine answer about the digital product or the digital course or whatever it is you're creating. You're, you said you're one on one. It's basically like a, is that right?
2: Yeah. So basically, my one on one is uh, I, I help people niche up, which is what I call it, which is finding the overarching theme, blending yeah. all their interests together, um, and help them create unique um, niches by niching all their interests or not all of them, but most of their interests together. And the digital product is exactly that. It's mental models to help make decisions. It's frameworks, concepts, and mental models to help people make decisions um, and, yeah, get unstuck and basically build brands and be able to sustain themselves financially by helping others.
0: When, when do you think that would be available and, and where?
2: Well, it's a very good question because okay. like everything <laughs> I, 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 I always grossly underestimate how these things take. Yeah. So I thought I was going to do that this week. That's not the case at all. Um, gotcha. So yeah, it's I don't know. It's gonna be two, three weeks, some, maybe four weeks. I don't know. But anyway, that's why I'm not posting videos at the moment. So um but basically, yeah, in the next three, four weeks, and then it'll be out on my Stan store, which is um the the link in my bio and TikTok and uh, my Substack.
0: Awesome, um, but yeah awesome. that's
2: basically what it's going to be so i'm excited about it it's good I
0: will, you should be i will probably be a customer for that um ever thought about writing a book yes uh this um is i mean that would be sick yeah
2: i, I guess the the digital product is me uh systemizing everything yeah. Yeah. uh in a, a digital format with a view to turning this into a book um TikTok think- for sorry Karen.
0: No, I just think with your like with stories, you know, from from the music industry, like with your background a little bit that you're bringing into it. And then with the format that you probably created in the past couple of years, like I think I think it could be huge. I really do.
2: Yeah, no, I'm excited about it. I'm really excited about digital product. It's really good, um, which I, I know it doesn't sound very humble of me, but it really is because there's, you know, there's 30 years worth of like, you no, know, it's, it's funny, isn't it? You, you don't realize how much you've learned because you're so used to it. And I forget the term where you've got all this knowledge you think everybody knows. Yes, and then I speak yes. to clients about it. I forget what the terminology is. And to them, they're like, oh, wow, that's incredible. And I was like, oh, I've been using that for 20 years. That just, you know, um, so it's packing all that stuff into. Um, yeah, like a short video course rather than one of these, uh, no offense, but they want these over bloated ones because they want to do like a hundred videos because they want to yeah. do a high ticket price, right?
0: Simple, simple, and shorter is always better. And when and whenever you're ready for the book, man, I'll, I'll be excited to, to have an early read of that. Uh, before we go, I just want to say one thing about the uh, not the humble uh, comment that you just made like, no, you should be proud, you should be proud of that, like. This is something that uh, I see often when people like get an award or do something great, and they're really like, "I'm so humble." And it's like, "I don't think you know what that <laughs> word means. Like, you're proud, and that's okay to be proud, but like, that's yeah, not I like that's not what what, what humble is. <laughs> it's like, no, I, I, I know it's that thing,
2: isn't it? Because you're excited about it, and you know it's really good. Mm-hmm. Equally, you don't want to come across as a dick for nah, saying,
0: dude, reason. you've been working hard, you put in the time, and you should be proud." I'm 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 proud to know you, and, and it's been honestly a blessing just to see your content. So I appreciate you, uh, breaking some bread with me here on the podcast and and letting my listeners know some of your uh some of your gems and experience and knowledge.
2: Well, no, listen, it's been a great pleasure. So thank you very much for inviting me.
0: Thanks, brother. I'll talk to you soon. Peace out, dude. Peace. My name is Rain Bennett. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed that episode, do us a favor and subscribe to the podcast. If you're already a subscriber and you're enjoying the show, give us a review and let us know the value that you've gotten from it. we love to hear from our listeners and learn about the benefits that they're getting from the show. That's what fuels us and that's what fuels the show. And if you've already subscribed and you've already reviewed it and you think there's someone else that would benefit from listening to this show, please, please share it with them. The more we grow, the more we can help you grow. And that's what we're here to do.